0: It's Friday, and we are working for Crusoe. Sam Park, John Ramey with you Friday, May 12th, 2023. And we are talking about the always exciting consumer price index, which, of course, talks to us about inflation. And then, yeah, it's riveting. And uh, and then AI. We have to succumb to the societal and media-wide pressure of discussing and hand-wringing about AI. And um,
1: it isn't a, a salient economic issue. I mean, it's not just hype.
0: It's not just the Terminator scenario.
1: No, I mean, it It, it has direct ramifications for the labor market, which we'll get into. Yes. A pace.
0: Um the Jeffrey Hinton interview I actually had come across uh, on my own, and then you'd suggested it to me, so I watched it twice. And, uh, he's that, done
1: many yeah. interviews, and actually, the, each one is a little different. He talks about different things in each one. So, you know, he's obviously given, been giving us a lot of fun. But we'll um, get to that.
0: But first, yes, what did I say last week? Vegetables before dessert? Correct, yes. Um, consumer price index inflation. It slowed for the 10th straight month in April. Uh, right now, it is a 4.9% increase. And I clicked through, you know, I read the headline on in the New York Times, and I clicked through and I looked at the actual consumer price index uh, release put out by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. And... Man, you know how we talked about how uh, economics is kind of backward looking in its yes. essence? Um, you could almost hear like the dot matrix printer on which this release may have been put out. It's I mean, the font, it's de- it's a dense piece of text that truly looks like it comes from about 1976.
1: I find that refreshing. Actually. It's just <laughs> on a web page.
0: Oh, no, I think it's great, too. Yeah. Right. It's it's not like um, it's not a hype media artifact I'll link it I'll link to the actual release uh in the show description so folks can look at it if they want to see just how kind of uh retro for lack of a better term um it is
1: well not only that but there's there's always important details in there right I mean we tend to focus on the headlines and let's face it these are uh, complicated issues right so we can't don't always have time to get to every single aspect of things but well, for instance, I found it interesting that grocery prices actually fell yes. last month. Uh, and that's, you know, uh, an important aspect of things. That's something that people see every day. Energy prices also fell, right? Uh, these are, it's you know, it's one thing to say, well, inflation fell, but these particular items are important in people's day-to-day lives. And so as we've talked about, inflation is just as much about perceptions as it is about the actual underlying conditions and the interplay between the perceptions and the conditions and so if energy prices and grocery prices are falling those two items would seem to me to be very relevant in terms of influencing people's perceptions of inflation
0: i mean you're making an assumption that people's perceptions will respond to reality but sure. I th- I do right. think consumer reality is so kind of um, interactive that it's more likely that will happen.
1: Well, I mean, um, but we know that people's perceptions do respond to reality in, in a right. faulty manner, right? But the point I'm making is that if anything is going to influence their perception of inflation, it would be things like groceries and energy.
0: I So I went into the chart from the Bureau of Labor Statistics and uh, energy just as a broad category uh, has decreased 5% over the last 12 months, right? Gasoline is down over 12% and fuel oil is down 20%. Of course, that's because it's April to April. So that's going to be a little, the consumption of fuel oil is going to be lower in a warmer month, but generally speaking, that's a huge drop. And, I was kind of confused by that, because, as far as I know, Russia is still being embargoed
1: they are, but uh that's an interesting point, actually they're selling oil uh at barely break even prices that's they're, the
0: sanction right where the exactly uh, the, the price the, cap the price cap
1: yeah uh, and so that's what the price cap is for I mean, India and China are buying just lakes of oil all the time, but they're paying very little for it. Uh, and this is one of the reasons why you levy economic sanctions on a country is because it does damage their economy. It takes a while, right? These sanctions have been only the the, the price gap for oil, I think, is not quite a year old, but it is having an effect. Sure, Russia's bringing in lots of money, but there it's – just above their production costs. In some cases, it might even be less depending on the individual barrel of oil and who is buying. it.
0: And the biggest takeaway for me, and we can get back into kind of the specifics, but the inflation rate is 4.9 right now. And that is down from the peak of 9% last summer. Before the pandemic, it was like 2%.
1: Yes, and that's the the general fed target rate is 2% they, sh- they shoot for 2 for 2%. So hey, everything's working, right? The Fed's doing it is, its job? It's it's happening slowly uh and people I think are still upset about it, but I've said this many times to you John and maybe only a few times on the podcast, but inflation is just a killer. People hate it. Uh, and you, you can understand why it's not at all irrational, right? Uh, it's funny. I remember back in 2016 when Donald Trump was running for president, and I saw a television interview with one of his supporters in some Rust Belt town, like where you where you would imagine that he would have supporters. And this person was saying, "You know, I wouldn't mind paying a little more for things if it meant that people had jobs." And I, I would kind of wish that they could track down that person and go. Okay, how do you like me now? Right. I mean, because that's exactly where we're at. Right. Unemployment is at a record low, but things cost more. Are you really so happy with that? Difficult to say. And the big
0: thing that is still an inflationary driver is wage in the service sector.
1: Yes. Now, those wages are coming up, but there's and I know we talked about this a few weeks ago. There still doesn't seem to be any real danger of what economists refer to as a wage price spiral, right, where people suddenly start getting paid more money for their labor, and then uh, they start spending that money on consumer goods, and that drives up prices. Uh, That's not happening, right? If it were, then inflation would be rising instead of falling.
0: I mean, what do the economists want us to do if we earn more money, save, buy houses?
1: Well, it's not it's not a question of what they would want us to do. It's just that that's the sort of thing that would cause inflation to to keep rising. Right. If if there were a wage price spiral, that would feed into inflation. At the same time, though, and I know we spoke about a little bit about this last week, uh, some of not just Biden's policies, but the sort of uh, corporate policies of manufacturers, for instance, Apple, right? They've had a lot of their uh, iPhones manufactured in China, which they're still doing. But they've also opened a large factory in India, right? Or they're about to open it. And they want to move some of their production to India. And so this builds in a certain amount of redundancy in supply chains, right? As we recall from the pandemic, if you have no redundancy in your supply chain, when things go wrong, you're just screwed, right? You suddenly can't get your product out of the one place that you've been getting it from. The problem, though, is that supply chains with redundancies, which we do want to have, are less efficient and therefore more expensive and therefore somewhat inflationary right? Or at least they're not disinflationary. So there's only if we're going to have less redundant supply chains, that means that prices can only fall so slowly. And in fact, I would imagine, again, I am not an economist, but I'm going to just make a guess here that some prices for some goods are just going to be permanently higher than they were before the pandemic. And again, that won't necessarily be inflationary, but it will not help bring inflation down. So, inflation could be with us for some time to come. We won't reach that federal that Federal Reserve target rate of two percent. I don't think in the next year, at least. And there is certain. Shocked if that happens. I'm sorry to keep interrupting.
0: That's okay. No, I'm just I'm. Thinking that there must have been certain things that after the great inflationary period of the seventies and early eighties never went backwards. It's just kind of after you have these things, some things just stick.
1: I get. I mean, I don't really remember, and we'd have to look. I would it have to say that.
0: housing, probably
1: housing, probably. But that's sort of a uh, that's
0: on its own track.
1: Yeah, uh, in in many ways it is. Uh, also, supply chains were not as efficient then. Right? Okay, so, good point. Right. That same dynamic it wasn't really, as global, yeah, and so that that couldn't really uh, factor in quite as much at that point.
0: I'm glad you brought up Apple and China and uh, and India because you know we're all we all. I mean, it's a bit like democracy, this free market. We all kind of have a vote, right? With our with our spending, yes. And I'm ready for a new iPhone because even though I keep mine in a pretty ugly and robust case, I drop it about once a day and I kick it around and for better or for worse, and I suspect for worse, uh, you need to have a very reliable smartphone in your life these days, especially if you're traveling or you're working in media or whatever. So, I got uh, it's about time for me to buy a new iPhone and I'm going to put this off as long as possible because- I feel like these machines are sufficiently expensive that we have to buy about one every 20 years, like a Panasonic turntable and receiver set used to be, right? But of course, I'm an old man yelling at a cloud. And I just was thinking about how much this iPhone would hypothetically cost if we were to get out of bed economically with China. Now, I suppose India would be the compromise, Right. Yes. Not that those labor markets are exactly like China, but certainly you can exploit lower wages in India compared to if you were building the iPhone in Cupertino.
1: Considerably, yeah. So and probably would, in, it's probably cheaper in India than it is in China also, which has a shrinking workforce.
0: Good point. Right. India now more populous, more workers. Yes. And right.
1: they have a younger demographic profile.
0: Right. I mean, obviously, politically still, I think India is preferable to China, even with Modi. Even with
1: with Narendra Modi, yes. But the problem is, it would take some investment to bring their industrial capacity up to speed. Not a ton, right? They have large industrial companies there also. But the sort of infrastructure that you would need to really manufacture at scale and transport all the products out of the country and the raw materials in would still need some development before it could be as competitive as they might want to be. And then it got me thinking about,
0: okay, well, wherever iPhones get made in the future, that's not China. It's going to be more expensive. And it might
1: not be. It's
0: possible it could be. Yes. And that got me thinking about our friend, Felix Salmon, who, uh, was on uh, the bulwark podcast and he was positing in his new book that neither of us have read uh, that globalism is dead and I thought well I guess if an iPhone's two thousand dollars for the American consumer he might be right because at first I thought it was kind of uh, a pretty pretty bold statement
1: I thought that it might have been a bit exaggerated I mean the fact is this- but
0: you can see the scenario
1: If the iPhone's
0: suddenly $2,500, right? Yeah,
1: but is that really going to happen? I mean, uh, if globalization is dead, then why was our trade with China at a record high last year? I mean, I I understand what he's saying. I think what he meant by that was that globalization is dead politically.
0: Right, right? certainly.
1: That you can't be an avowed globalist on a political level anymore
0: nobody's getting elected backing uh nafta at this point right
1: exactly
0: in any case salmon got me thinking about the long-term ramifications for the stock market in the united states if suddenly apple's business model is radically different you know if 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 china invades taiwan and we've got to figure out where else to build some semiconductors in a big hurry. Like I know we've started that process, but it's just, there are plenty of scenarios in which kind of the status quo right now for what all this technology costs goes way up and the business models for all these giant, massively wealthy companies gets turned upside down.
1: It could Honestly, be- I, I, You're absolutely right. I think this is mainly a problem of scale, right? Mm-hmm. Is that these supply chains are so large and so complicated that uh, if anything goes wrong, then all of a sudden it's a calamity, right? That's one of the reasons I think why it's good to build in these sort of redundancies in supply chains, even if it makes things a bit more expensive, right? Because then at least uh, we can sort of hedge against uh, geopolitical risk or other kinds of risk for that matter. in case something goes down, things can continue to function sort of as normal. Uh, and that would be, I think, a, a large boon and worth paying a little bit more. it, And it also might, and I think this might be a bit optimistic, but it might encourage manufacturers to think about making more durable products Right. Where, you know, we there's no real reason that you should have to buy a new cell phone every couple of years.
0: It's it's preposterous.
1: Yeah, it is preposterous. But that's sort of what we've all been trained to do. Uh, And I think that there is some social pressure against that phenomenon. And I smile upon that. I think that's a good thing.
0: So when you talk about the scale of the supply chains and the complexity of the globally integrated supply chains and how difficult that could be to manage in a time of crisis or even potential crisis, perhaps that's one tremendous application of AI in the positive. How's that for a segue, Sam Really good. I really enjoyed
1: that a great deal. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Artificial intelligence uh, is going to be brought to bear in supply chains, certainly, but it's, going to come into effect in so many different areas of the economy that we might not even be able to foresee. For our listeners who don't know this, I live in the heart of Hollywood. And our listeners probably do know that for the past couple of weeks, there has been a writer's strike here in Hollywood, where writers of television shows and, and films are on strike uh, they're holding out for better pay from streaming services, for one thing. But this is, to my knowledge, the first organized labor action anywhere uh, that specifically mentions artificial intelligence as a concern. And you can really un- easily understand why that might be, because I think it's only a matter of time before there is a hit film or perhaps a television show, but I think more likely a standalone film that's written by artificial intelligence. And so as far as I can tell, the writers haven't issued any specific demands in regards to how they want to cope with artificial intelligence. But again, you can understand why they could be concerned about this. Uh, and. It seems to me that their goals here might be sort of at cross-purposes with one another. For instance, they're asking for better pay, right? But if I'm one of the Hollywood studios, I might say, "Okay, but if I have to pay you more, then my best solution might just be to never hire you to begin with and just have the machines write the script. and again, I think that's just going to happen. The question is, how soon is it going to happen? And what will the damage be for people here in Los Angeles? Because it could be substantial. Um, and, you know, people are only starting to uh, to grapple with this. And I think the interviews with Jeffrey Hinton have just been very illuminating.
0: The godfather uh, of AI, Jeffrey Hinton, who that's right. resigned from Google... Um, yeah, he had, uh, I listed his concerns and his upsides, right? Yes. And, and and so first of all, just as somebody who works in media, both of us as songwriters, I mean, have you heard the songs written by AI?
1: I haven't, uh, but I'm, Uh, I'm, you know, I'm sure. Terrifying.
0: You want to kill it with fire, right? Yeah. And certainly as somebody who, uh, covers kind of very kind of closed system events like sporting events. (laughs) I I, you know my job's in danger perhaps not tomorrow but not that far away
1: well yes and while we're talking about cinematic dialogue maybe not today maybe
0: maybe not not tomorrow
1: tomorrow, but soon and for (laughs) the rest rest of 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 our
0: lives yeah (laughs) yeah I mean I wish I had enough faith in the movie uh consuming public to reject you know AI but candidly the movies that make money right now may as well be written by AI
1: yeah exactly right I mean uh and if, if uh, computer-generated imagery continues to advance, you continue Why would we have, hire actors? You, you wouldn't have people, right? You could just have AI write the script, and then CGI do all the, the imagery, and then you're all set.
0: All right, so Jeffrey Hinton, in the interview you and I both watched from Amanpour Porn Company uh, from this week, he, on the positive side, says these... Intelligences will be incredible in medicine, specifically in analyzing scans. It will be uh, critical for designing and building uh, nanomaterials, like building better solar cells. AI will revolutionize in a positive sense weather prediction and climate change data analysis, as well as things like predicting earthquakes and floods more accurately. Okay, those are all great. And, And as we mentioned, maybe managing the insane supply chain. Right. There are plenty of things probably will make planes and rail transit even safer than it already is. Right.
1: it's very safe
0: already. Already very safe, but super cool. Jeffrey Hinton's concerns are uh, the existential threat, which I call the terminator scenario, that these super intelligences will just become into their own interests and destroy us. Economic workers made obsolete, like we've discussed. And then deep fake media, which we are already kind of swimming into in the last eight years. Sure. And then the quote, I transcribed this in, from his interview. He said, quote, this is Jeffrey Hinton, the godfather of AI. Quote, it's possible that there's no way we, that is human beings, will control these super intelligences and that humanity is just a passing phase in the evolution of intelligence. That in a few hundred years, there won't be any people. It will all be digital intelligences. That's possible. We just don't know. Now, he didn't say that's probable. He didn't say it's plausible. He didn't say it's likely but he did say it was possible. <laughs> I I guess when you just start pulling technologies out of a hat sooner or later, one of them is going to be super bad. If it's not nuclear weapons, it might be AI, right?
1: I applaud Hinton for bringing this to our attention, right? Uh, because if anybody knows about this sort of thing, it's somebody like him. Uh, the problem is I don't know what we could even do about this, right? Uh, and uh, I kind of think that we don't really have uh, the tools necessarily to even think about this uh, adequately, mind you, right? Uh, because the machines can probably outthink whatever thinking we can do, right? For, I don't know if you watched the uh, the David Brooks segment from the PBS NewsHour. I last sure week, did. Right? Uh And now, David Brooks, very smart guy, and he's very influential. Uh, And I don't always disagree with him. I don't always agree with him. Right. Uh, uh, But. He's so influential that. I sort of felt compelled to pay attention to what he was saying about this. And. First, you know, he He did mentioned the concern that this could get out of control. Right. And so he did not dis- discount that possibility at all. Jonathan
0: Capart also agreed with that.
1: <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, but, you know, I'm focusing on Brooks here because you know, part is the junior partner in mm-hmm. that commentary segment. Right. Uh, and I, I'm very fond of Jonathan Capehart, but he, I don't feel that he's as influential a personage as. Nathan no, I Brooks understand. Is. And Brooks told the story of the great chess grandmaster, Gary Gary Kasparov, who I think more than a decade ago was defeated by an artificial intelligence program.
0: I think it was in the late 90s.
1: Okay, fine. Early 2000s. Yeah, I don't remember exactly what it was, right? And then Brooks said, but it's not like chess became obsolete. Chess players began to train themselves on artificial intelligence and got better at playing chess as a result. And then Brooks went on to say, so artificial intelligence, and I'm paraphrasing here, artificial intelligence is going to make us all better at our jobs. Uh, And that's true, right? I think everything Brooks said in that segment was true. But at the same time, I also felt, first of all, sure, there are professional chess players. Never mind that some of them have been cheating recently, but that's a different story. Right? right? I don't think people think of chess players as having experience relevant to their own job. Right.
0: That's not a rank and file job.
1: Yeah, that's not a job. I mean, you know, sure, they, people do it and they get paid, and stuff, but it's not anybody's job. Really. It's like, like being, being an opera
0: singer or something.
1: Yeah. Right. Uh, so it's like, really, that's your example? Uh Maybe you know what, Dave? Maybe you should train on AI and get a little bit better at your job because you're kind of letting me down right now. Uh, But the other thing that Brooks mentioned was this idea that we should all just constantly want to be getting better at our jobs. Well, right. Which I'm sorry. I mean, now mind you, again, there certainly are people right who love their jobs and who think of their work life as the constant pursuit of excellence in their chosen fields and that's terrific right society needs people like that uh, but i think there are many many other people who just want to go to work make a living and then spend the great majority of their life outside of work and don't want to feel like they constantly have to improve at their jobs Think of all the people who worked in the gig economy before the pandemic who just like, you know, I want to work on my own. And the people who are going to tell me how good at my job I am are my customers, right? Uh, The people who give me feedback if I'm an Uber driver, right? That's how I'm going to get better at my job is by interacting with them. And, yeah, I'm using technology, of course, right? Uh, But my job improvement will come from actual people, right? Or... They or Let's go, say you're
0: a sculptor. How is AI going to make you a better sculptor? Right. It
1: might, You know, uh, you might be able to use it to generate topographical images that you could look at and say, oh, that's interesting. I could try and do something like that. That sure. could help you. Right? I guess
0: how photography influenced painting in the 19th century.
1: Sure. Exactly. Right. Uh, that's a, that's an excellent example. Or think of uh, people who after the pandemic were like, you know what? I'd just as soon not go back to working in the office. Thanks very much, because that's what not really what I want my life to be about. Think of the people who last week on May Day, the million more and more people who were in France, right on the street saying, no, we don't want you to raise our retirement age to what would still be one of the lowest in the rich world. Uh, And sure. People are living longer these days, not in our country, but in some countries. Uh, and. I'm sorry, if we living longer means you have to work more, that's not progress. You can disagree with me about that, but that's still a legitimate way of thinking about this. Well, well
0: that's one thing. Would- that's one thing Hinton said. Right. He goes, look, if we lived in a society that functioned better ai would be a godsend yes right everybody would have all this time and there would be this abundance of wealth generated by the productivity of ai that would free humanity from the shackles of labor but of course he's rightfully concerned that it will just be used to make the rich richer and the poor poorer
1: yes and i think and and that's i think part of the resistance to to the technology part of mine yeah, if okay, what well, we AI is going to replace our jobs, or it's going to make us continue to have to get better at our jobs, right? That, I mean, I, at a certain point, this idea that we should all be constantly improving at our jobs, it makes me feel like we're all trophy wives of wealthy men who constantly feel like they have to go to the gym, the salon, the, the plastic surgeon, surgeon yeah. <laughs> right? It's just to forestall the inevitable day when we're replaced by someone younger and prettier at a certain point. You know what? Maybe the wealthy man should just go get himself a sex robot and just and we won't have to worry about this anymore. Right. That
0: is actually kind of right on the nose, Sam. I, mean- I
1: think so. But the only way that can happen is if we're all cut in on the productivity gains from whatever AI brings to the economic sphere, and it doesn't really seem as though that's happening
0: I guess at some point in this discussion about AI, Andrew Yang should probably take a victory lap. I'm not saying politically, but just as far as his ability to um articulate this as a as an issue whenever he wrote his book in two thousand fifteen or sixteen.
1: I suppose we're going to have to see how it all plays out though it's possible that I mean he like, was huh? right
0: on about this.
1: I guess, but it's possible that as just as with other technological innovations, this will end up being a net job creator, right? Uh, That's happened before, you know, numerous times. We'll have to see uh, uh, because just because something has always happened before doesn't mean it will always happen in the future, which is a fallacy that a lot of people end up subscribing to. You can understand why, of course, right? But again, Principles of economics are not laws of physics. They don't happen all the time everywhere. They change in re- in relation to material conditions as the economy of all.
0: Sam Park, you've known me through a great majority of my arc as a broadcaster, my day job. And so it pleases me to no end that you specifically requested an opportunity to tease next week's episode.
1: Okay. Well, one thing that I know we'll talk about next week is... Uh, this Sunday's election in Turkey, uh, it's the presidential election and also parliamentary elections at the same time. Just in the past 24 hours, the main third party candidate has pulled out of the race. Uh, so it's essentially now a two man race between the incumbent president, uh, Ahmed Edwin. Uh, I'm sorry, Recep Tayyip Erdogan. I had confused him briefly there with the legendary recording executive, Ahmed Ertegun, here in the United States. Very different. Atlantic. Person, Yes, yeah, if yeah, one of the founders of Atlantic Records. <laughs> anyway, Recep Tayyip Erdogan is facing uh, Kamal kovic uh, and it's neck and neck. Uh, polls in Turkey are notoriously unreliable, so we don't actually know what's going to happen, but it's expected to be very close. Wait a minute, uh, Erdogan yeah. could lose? He could lose, yes. Uh, he might not, right? Uh, again, the polls are worthless in Turkey, so we don't actually know what's going to happen. But the re- withdrawal of the third party candidate is a big deal. The other thing I would keep an eye on for next week is, uh, the possible, well, there's certainly a great deal of unfolding chaos happening already in Pakistan, uh, which could very easily at this point slip into utter chaos. Uh, and that would be a big deal. Uh, and it all stems from the arrest this week of The former prime minister imran khan uh and he's still the most popular politician in the country he was ousted last year in a parliamentary no confidence vote so it's not like he was voted out of office by the people he was ousted by the parliament and of course in pakistan that sort of thing never happens without the connivance of the military which is still the most powerful institution in pakistani life so both of those things it's possible that pakistan will settle down in the next week uh, i kind of doubt it but it's certainly possible but next week we'll certainly be talking about turkey and i would imagine about pakistan as well
0: all right so if the machines don't destroy us before next week turkey's elections and pakistan um if you have any questions or comments or suggestions for a story idea email me john ramey media at gmail.com that'll do it for us so long everybody